Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. Special program today, special guest. I'm excited to have Pastor Dan Fisher. There's a couple books I want to tell you about. Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, and also a new book called Unlimited Submission. It's about Romans 13. We'll talk about that later in the podcast today. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this opportunity to talk about things that are so important, not only from a biblical standpoint, but from our culture and what's happening in our country. Lord, I pray that you'd guide us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to encourage believers to encourage their pastors to engage and teach the truth and also be just involved in what's happening, the political process, speaking about cultural issues, obviously from a biblical perspective, Lord, but we need you, we need your help to do this because so many have bought the lie that we are not supposed to get involved. But Lord, what a lie from the enemy. Um, We are here for such a time as this. God, use us. And I thank you for this chance today to talk about this very important topic and free speech and all the things we take for granted. We love you. We thank you for the freedoms we have in this country. And we pray that you would move on the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I'm so excited to have a brand new guest I met uh, just a few weeks ago in Texas. His name is Dan Fisher. Uh, He's a pastor, and he's also an author, and he's bringing to life the Black Robed Regiment. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he's a former public school teacher, and he was also twice elected to the Oklahoma House of Representatives. And some of you are going, politics! But we know on this podcast and what we talk about, it's so important for us to be involved. And um, he declined to run for re-election when he became convinced that the Republican leadership— I said Republican in the House there in Oklahoma was far too liberal. We're going to ask him about that. But Dan Fisher, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, David, it is my honor. Thanks for having me. All right, well, thank you. Well, before we get into your background, Dan, and talk about your books, right there, that piqued my interest. You're in Oklahoma, one of the more conservative states in the country, a red state, and you decided not to run for re-election because there were some that were too liberal on the Republican <laughs> side. Please tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I served for two terms. Uh, the folks need to know that while I was serving those two terms, I was a senior pastor of a church about a thousand people. So wow. I stayed active as a senior pastor. I was traveling around doing the Black Regiment presentation that we'll talk about later. And then I also served in the legislature. And the odd thing is, David, my third term, I was running unopposed. So I tell people even I could win that race. And um, I just, I was so frustrated with the compromise that I saw in the Republican Party. People campaign as one thing, they govern as another. And so I just decided that with all the other things I'm doing, I, I could accomplish more good not serving in the legislature. And so that that's the reason why I didn't run. And 
I know mm. it's a, kind of a shocker to some people when they think about the legislature in Oklahoma being filled with uh, moderates, but it really, really is, and um, it's just so frustrating. Our, our numbers of true conservatives were so small that we we couldn't get the real definitive things done. I mean, they'll do window dressing stuff to make themselves look conservative, huh. but the truth is they aren't. Mm. And we expect that out of Washington, D.C., everything going yeah. to the left and uh, conservatives yeah. appearing more liberal, liberals going far left now. Um, but it, you don't expect it in red states, but we should. We should be aware that this transition has been happening. And one of the main yeah. reasons you speak out and go preach and take this presentation, the Black Robed Regiment, around to different churches and places in the country is because of just that. The pastors have kind of backed out of culture, and so we've lost some of that salt. Uh, Dan, tell us, you started preaching when when you were a teenager, is that right? I did. I started when I was 16. Wow. And then, so were you uh, part of a a church? And, And tell us a little bit about your background that brought you to where you are now in Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. I grew up as a, uh, in a little free will Baptist church over in western Arkansas and uh, felt called to preach and started preaching as a young man. Of course, you know, I'm preaching at youth events, youth revivals, that kind of stuff. And then as I went on to school and got a degree in secondary education, uh, I really felt uh, that God wanted us to make a denominational shift. So we, we went over to the Southern Baptist Convention, and it's there that I began a vocational ministry. Hmm. Uh, I was a singles pastor for a couple of years, and then um, at the age of 24, I became the senior pastor of my first church over in southeastern Oklahoma, and was there for eight years. Hmm. And then uh, uh, the Lord, uh, we felt the Lord moving us to a church west of Oklahoma City a few miles, and a little place called Yukon, Oklahoma, and I pastored that church for 23 years. Wow. That's where I was when I discovered the Black Regiment and uh, when I ran for office. And then we were part of a a little church start, uh, and now I'm uh, co-pastoring in a community north of Oklahoma City called Edmond, Oklahoma, with another patriot pastor that I had worked with for years. We we kind of merged our two congregations, and his name's Paul Blair, and so he and I uh, together pastor this church and, as you know, uh, go and speak and do all the things that we believe God is, is telling us to do to try to awaken the pulpit. And it was it was during that time at Trinity, uh, which was the name of the church that I pastored in Yukon, that, I mean, I've always been politically engaged, David. I've always believed that a Christian can't separate their their lives into the spiritual and the secular. It's all spiritual to the Christian. And so I've always believed that Christians ought to be engaged in politics and everything else. But it was it was in those years in Yukon where I really discovered the Black Rope Regiment, and I, I realized that our, our problem in America is that the pulpits have been censoring part of the truth hmm. and will not engage the people yes. in every area of life. And because of that, of course, now we have the mess that we're dealing with. Amen. And you mentioned Paul Blair. Thankfully, he'll be on our podcast in about a week and a half. I'm just excited to have a bunch of those pastors and speakers from the America at the a Crossroads conference that I went to. That's where I met you. You had your presentation the first night, and I think um, yeah. it really impacted a lot of the men of God that were there, Dan, and thank you for doing that. 
Um, I know it must be grueling because you put a lot of your heart and soul and your passion into it, but it relays <laughs> the history of some of these men that were some of the first church leaders in America. First, I'd like to uh, share a little bit about America at the Crossroads, and there are about 350 pastors there. And are you doing more of those in the next, I mean, before the November election? Because I think it's an important time, as you do. Yes, we are. We're maybe not as big as that one was. We had a, some donors who helped to make that possible. It was We did it at the Gaylord there in Dallas, and uh, you know, kind of a kind of a big deal, kind of a ritzy place. Yeah, and, it was amazing. Uh, we'll probably do some smaller, more regional uh, gatherings, but we'll do the same thing because we believe it's vital that the pastors re-engage their congregation. Yes, you know, as the pastor goes, so goes the church. Mm-hmm. And I believe in America because we're a we're a republic. As goes the church, so goes the culture and the country. So. Well, Yes, that important. Well, one of your goals, I want to reemphasize what you just said to awaken the pulpit. And this is such an important time with such a major election coming up in November. And uh, just so many things. We got to get the people involved. But I want to encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not familiar with Pastor Dan Fisher, the website, it's phenomenal. You get a lot of information on the Black Robe Regiment. It's a call for preachers who will fight. It's danfisherbrr.com, and BRR stands for Black Robed Regiment. We're going to talk about the book in a minute. Um, Dan, it's a, it's a tough task to awaken the pulpit that has bought the lie that brought in 1954 the Johnson Amendment would you, sure. before we get into the history, and I want to ask you about John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg, um, who's one of the pastors that said this, there's a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray, but there's also a time to fight, and that time has now come. That was a pastor who said that. So the Johnson Amendment, Dan, how has that impacted? I know it's based on a lie, but a lot of pastors are a little... Sure. And ignorant about what it actually means and the limitations that a church has today. Yeah. Well, of course, 1954 was a period of time where this concept of separation of church and state was really taking, getting traction mm-hmm. in the American church. Of course, the, the whole concept of separation of church and state is not biblical. It's certainly not constitutional. But, you know, if you repeat a lie often enough, people will begin to believe that it's true. So this was the period of time where this was all getting its traction. And in 1954, Lyndon B. Johnson was running for re-election as a senator from Texas. And there were some conservative groups that were bringing to the public Johnson's connections to the Communist Party. And so he, as a senator in in Washington, was able to add to the the tax law uh, this this little stipulation that that, uh, 501 – uh, nonprofit organizations cannot speak in favor of or against political candidates. Well, later on, the church was swept into that. And so what you have is something in the tax code that's actually unconstitutional because it limits free speech. Yes. And it certainly limits uh, freedom of religion and our expression because ultimately who we choose to lead us in government is going to have a major impact in our lives, as we're obviously seeing now. And so our religious convictions have to be brought into the voting booth uh, as we vote. Uh, 
And if you're able to silence these 501c3s, i.e. the church, then ultimately you, you've, you've shut down the greatest uh, opportunity that we have to inform our people. And so pastors, out of fear of losing their, their nonprofit status, and because of their belief in the myth of separation of church and state, hmm. have ceased to involve their people. They've ceased to preach these principles uh, from the pulpits that would, would inform them as to how they should vote. And, and, and so the congregation, over a period of years, begins to assume, well, either politics must be dirty, we shouldn't be involved in it, or it doesn't matter. And it doesn't take very long for people to begin to believe, then, that they ought to stay out of that. And of course, you keep the salt and light out of anything, and you have decay and darkness. And that's what we now have in our governance. Amen. Uh, Pastor Dan Fisher, um, I want to make sure people go to the website and get this book, Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment. Um, so much good information on history. And as you said, about 10 years ago, you weren't even aware of this, how pastors, religious leaders of different den- denominations, they were willing not only to preach it, but to take off their black robes and then go out and fight at a time where, actually, if they didn't fight, we may, might not have been in the position right we're on today where we have these freedoms because the subtitle of the book is How the 18th Century Church Stood for Liberty and Why It Must Do So Again. Dan, tell us a little bit about the history and what, you, what led you to get sure. into the Black Robed Regiment. Okay. Well, first of all, we have to go before the, the Black Regiment itself, and that's what the British originally called them was the Black Regiment referring to the black robes that they wore every Sunday. In those days, most denominations, it didn't matter what, that their preachers wore black robes when they preached. So if you go way back before the, de- the period of the Declaration of Independence, when these guys first took their stand, preachers had been preaching the principles of government, proper government, and against tyranny for years. You see, they believed, as I do, that God established three institutions so we can have a civil society the home, the state, and the church. So government is an institution of God. Amen. Well, these preachers believed that if government is an institution of God, then they ought to preach on it just as much as they do the home and the church. It's just as biblical. So they did. With Great Britain, of course, beginning to strangle the colonies and putting them under the heavy thumb of tyranny, these guys began to ratchet up their preaching because they saw that if they didn't stand for their liberties— they were going to have ultimately the Church of England forced upon them, and and they would no longer have freedom of conscience, freedom to preach and believe what they wanted to. So eventually you have the Continental Congress, you have the colonies declare their independence, and what these men had been preaching in their pulpits, they began to put into action, and they believed it was righteous to stand up against tyranny, and Mm. they believed that the king and parliament had become tyrannous, so these men began, these men, these preachers began to recruit the men from their churches, from their communities, and they became parts of the militias, and then some of them became parts of the regular military, as Peter Muhlenberg did. But ultimately, these guys were the real impetus to our declaring our independence, and then when the British wanted to fight, standing up and, and, and fighting against them. And most people don't know that, David. They just, right. There are, and there's so many stories that obviously we're not going to have time to get into. 
but they, they just don't know, for instance, the, the Minutemen in Lexington were trained and led by a preacher and a deacon. Paul Revere rides to that preacher's house the night that he's making his famous ride. The regulars are coming. The regulars are out. He rides to Jonas Clark's church, or excuse me, to Jonas Clark's house, because Jonas Clark was the pastor in Lexington. See, they don't. We don't know these things. No. And so we don't realize that our liberties were born uh, in an atmosphere where the church was the tip of the spear, and the pastors were actually out on the battlefields, leading their men to fight for liberty. And they, so the British hated them, and they called them the Black Regiment, referring to their robes. And we call them the Black Robed Regiment, so people know what we're talking about. And they considered these preachers public enemy number one. If they captured them, sometimes they would kill them on the battlefield. Uh, they would throw them on prison ships where they met a terrible death. Mm. And, and Americans need to know our history once again, and modern preachers need to know that this is the heritage that we come from. Amen, brother. Uh, the public schools aren't teaching it. We've got to get this book no. and others like it into the hands of Christians, and particularly pastors, Black Robed Regiment. We, um, my wife and I watched one of your presentations from the conference. By the way, can I mention the website that it's available, Dan? Sure. The Liberty Pastors, is it .org or .com? .com. LibertyPastors.com. If you, up at the top, if you click on Presentations, you can get any of these presentations, and I highly recommend you, friends, send this link to your pastor. The first one up top, it says, silence is not an option. That's from Matt Staver, but you've got a couple presentations on there. My wife and I were watching one of them on the Black Robed Regiment at the end, We and I saw it in person when you did it a couple weeks ago, and she was moved to tears, and I was then mm. moved because you're talking about these men of God who sacrificed yeah. all, who encouraged, not only encouraged their the men in their congregation, but they went out and fought. They sacrificed their own lives, and you go, wow, these men— really died. These pastors, religious leaders, died for our freedoms, and we don't hear that history today, do we? No, we do not. We do not, David. And because of that, the Church has developed this belief that we just need to stay out of the culture war, that we just need to do what we do within the four walls of our churches and in the, in the four walls of our homes, but we don't need to engage the public and, and that is completely foreign to our history. And, and had the generation uh, of the Declaration of Independence done the same thing that we're doing today, there would be no America that, mm. that we know. There would be no liberty that we've enjoyed for all of these decades. It's because the Church, led primarily by the pastors, yep. and, and as I said a while ago, the Church is going to go where its leaders lead it. People are generally followers. We need leaders. Pastors are to be those leaders. Mm. We've got to take a break already, and uh, we're with Pastor Dan Fisher. The book we're going to get into a little bit more, dive into a couple of the main men of God. One of them is John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. It's called Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, and I just want to read an endorsement from Tony Perkins, Family Research Counsel. He said, this book is an inspiring and compelling analysis of the role of the church in early America, the patriot preachers who set the stage for the revolution and a challenge for the church to return to the forefront of the culture war. This book could help save the country. And that's Tony Perkins. And I, 
Personally, I do not believe that's an exaggeration. As many Americans are seeing now, we could go in one of two directions. Depends on how we vote in November. We've got just over a month. But we'll be right back on Stand Up For The Truth with Pastor Dan Fisher. Don't go anywhere. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're back with Pastor Dan Fisher, and he pastors in Oklahoma, and he's also an author He's a speaker, and he does a great presentation on American history and early patriot pastors who preached and then took their black robes off, went out, and they literally fought for our freedoms and against tyranny. The book, Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, How the 18th Century Church Stood for Liberty and Why It Must Again Do So. Um, Dan, let's talk about a fascinating man of God, John Peter Gabriel Muhlenberg. Well, Peter Muhlenberg grew up in Pennsylvania. He was from a long line of Lutherans. His father, Henry, helped to found the Lutheran Church in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, Peter fought the call to the ministry and finally uh, surrendered to the Lord's will and began to preach, and he eventually ended up in Woodstock, Virginia. Now, you must remember in those days in Virginia, you had to be an Anglican to be able to pastor. So Huh. Even as a Lutheran, he was ordained as an Anglican. He had to go to Europe and all that to, to be ordained, came back, and pastored a church in Woodstock. But like many pastors in his day, he understood that Christianity goes outside the walls of the church Amen. and must, must, must be engaging the culture, even in governance. Because, as I said earlier, government that makes the laws that we live by has a major impact in our lives, and mm. Christians, of course, uh, know that. We know it instinctively, intuitively, but for some reason, we've been taught where to separate. Well, anyway, they didn't do that in Muhlenberg's day. So he served in the House of Burgesses until King George shut it down. And while he was serving in the Virginia House of Burgesses, he got to know men like George Washington and Patrick Henry. Uh, he was there when Henry gave his famous give me liberty or give me death speech mm. uh, at St. John's Episcopal Church in Richmond. Well, anyway, Muhlenberg feels the call to, to be engaged at a greater level, and so he preaches in his church on January the 21st, 1776, that he's going to step down, and he challenges the men of his church to follow him. He pulls off his black robe and uh, dons a um, colonel's uniform because George Washington and Patrick Henry had recommended him to be commissioned as a colonel to raise the 8th uh, Regiment out of Virginia. They were going to be a cavalry unit. So Muhlenberg recruits the men from his church, the community, and does so and becomes part of the regular military and climbs right up through the ranks mm -hmm. and eventually promoted by the end of the war to Major General Peter Muhlenberg, who was on George Washington's staff. He is the perfect example, though. He's kind of the quintessential example of a pastor who understood that sometimes truth and liberty must be defended. Mm. And so when that time came, uh, he was reluctant, like all would be, but once he decided that this is what God wanted to do, he threw himself into it fully. And in his life uh, is well known. His, his statue is in Statuary Hall in the Capitol in Washington, D.C., 
He's in the famous painting of the surrender of Cornwallis. He's seated on one of the horses. He's one of the, the commanders. He was at Yorktown. In fact, he was at most of the major battles. And he's a he's a Lutheran. Wow. Uh, he's a preacher. So a pastor became a brigadier. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It is. But when you, when you th- I mean, it's one of the reasons it's hard for us to grasp this concept, Dan. Is I mean, Muhlenberg and others left the pulpit for the battlefield. Literally, we've got a culture war out there that our religious leaders and pastors aren't even engaged in fighting, and some don't want to open their church because of a virus. And I know we'll get to that when yeah. we talk about Romans thirteen. Yeah. Just your thoughts on the, on the great amount of re-educating that must be done, so that people understand that this gap, this fear of, of engaging in culture is a lie from the enemy? Well, to be honest with you, David, uh, we have lost a lot of the masculinity of the church. I mean, we all know that the church is the bride of Christ, mm-hmm. but there are to be men leading the church. And somehow we, we've, we've neutered the church to the point that we we run away from controversy, we run away from conflict. Uh, most pastors, when they're polled today, their greatest fear is conflict in their congregation. Barna found out in 2014 that the two greatest concerns of pastors is the size of their attendance and the size of the offerings. Uh, so wow. we, we, we have evolved into almost a business rather than the body of Christ. And so, you know, it's it's just inevitable that we would run away from conflict and we would see getting involved in the culture war uh, something that is unspiritual. It's actually the exact opposite. That's what we're called to do throughout the New Testament. Paul uses military terminology like fight the good fight, be a good soldier. Ephesians talks about putting on the whole armor of God. Hmm. We all know that that's spiritual, that we're to be involved in spiritual warfare, but sometimes spiritual warfare unfortunately even becomes physical. So we need to be involved in politics. We need to stand up. We need to go to rallies. We need to be seen uh, in public standing for truth, not just in our closets, praying yes. for truth and liberty, you know? And so uh, we, we have a major problem in the pulpit today in that it's more of a career rather than a calling, and guys are more concerned about their paychecks mm. than they are the judgment seat of Christ. Yes. And so th- that's our problem, and that's one of the reasons why I feel so motivated to bring the history back up, it's not that—I mean, I love history, but but it's not because I want people just to hear a great story from the past. Mm. I believe we can take the story of the Black Robe Regiment, transfer it from the 18th century to the 21st century, and it has relevance for us right now. Mm-hmm. And some of those statements, what you just said about pastors not wanting to go out, it, it, it sounds almost provocative, but I think the listeners to this podcast— anyway, uh, understand that that's true. I think a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed because they don't know what they can do to kind of light a fire under the, under their pastors. Um, I just want to mention just some of the chapters you have. You have so many different people, uh, Jonas Clark, James Caldwell, um, George Duffield, John Witherspoon, 
You talk about a righteous war. I mean, it is a 400-page book, almost, and there's so much work and history that must have gone into this. Um, When you speak at churches, what is one of the main comments or questions you get, Dan? Well, I think for most most people, it's not a question of, is this legit? Uh, are you really sure that this is biblical? <laughs> the number one question I get is, why can't I get my pastor to do this? Hmm. That's, that's the number one question. Hmm. Hands down, when we were at the conference in Dallas, you can't believe the people who came up to me, David, and said, how can I get my church to engage at this level? Hmm. And you know, typically it's the pastor who's the bottleneck. You, you mentioned the, the COVID response. Mm-hmm. Pastors have been willing to shut their churches down for a new strain of the flu, for Pete's sake. Yep. I mean, in some states, they're being forced to uh, watch John MacArthur the other night on Laura Ingram's program. And, you know, he's defying the governor out there in California over a disease that affects one one-hundredth of one percent of the people in California. Those were the numbers that John MacArthur used. Yeah. And they're pretty much the same all over the country. So we're shutting down our churches. The president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, his church, he said, will not reopen until 2021. Gosh. So, so much for Hebrews 10.25. Yes. We need to assemble together, and the more so as we see the end approaching— I mean, this shows you that the—well, I'm going to kind of be blunt here. It shows you the cowardice of the church today and and of its leadership. And so this is why this story is so important, because we need to get real men back in the pulpits and not these politically correct people-pleasers, what Jesus called hirelings, Mm -hmm. leading our churches. And, well, one of the problems we talk about this often is that the church became more like a business and a pastor is more like a CEO. So he treats it like kind of like a job oftentimes, and that is just American Christianity, what we've kind of accepted. I interviewed—you'd be encouraged. I interviewed a young pastor uh, last week, 35 years old, and he wrote a book called Feral Christian. He wants us to be undomesticated from what he's seen. We have conformed to culture. We have become lukewarm like the Laodicean church. And I was really encouraged by him. There needs to be a lot of young pastors like him. But, Dan, you're doing a work that a lot of men would not take upon themselves and to try to encourage men of God to be the strong men of God and the leaders that their congregations need. I mean, these patriot pastors yeah. literally took off their black robes and went out to fight and took some of their yeah. congregations with them. We're not. That's not a story Friends, that's part of our history. Uh, Before we turn the corner here a little bit, Dan, and talk about Romans 13 and some of the things that we have kind of incorrectly um, understood from that passage in civil government, do you want to talk a little bit more about uh, how people can get the black-robed regiment presentation or this information to the church? Oh, certainly. The best way to contact me is through my website, which is just Dan Fisher, B-R-R, stands for the Black Rogue Regiment, dot com. And if they are interested in, in talking with me about bringing the presentation to their church, they can contact me that way, and then we can visit more about it. You know, it's a, it's a whole multimedia thing. As you know, I do it in period costume, sound effects. We even have this traveling museum that's just unbelievable that we bring along with us. 
and, and I can promise anyone listening that it will revolutionize their group or their church. And we don't just do churches. We speak at different groups. And so that's that's the best way to get us is just go to our website. Okay, I want you to you know follow up a little bit on the idea that the museum, some of the guns you had that were actually yeah. used in these wars in the Revolutionary War, correct? Oh, sure. In fact, we know the soldiers' names that carried them. Wow, that's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, we have a you know we have muskets that were used at the Battle of Trenton, New Jersey, across the Delaware River with Washington. We have a, a musket that was used at Bunker Hill. One that was used at the Battle of Saratoga. Huh. And we don't just have the front locks. I mean, we have swords, bayonets. We even have election sermons. We have copies of those. We have one that was preached on the first anniversary, the signing of the Declaration, preached by a, a preacher and also a, a Continental soldier named William Gordon, preached on July the 4th, 1777. So we have all of these things that, you know, that, that are just uh, not just a visual, but, but a, a tactile. Uh, experience for people that they can touch these they were there and it just it does something to you it does something for you okay wait a minute some we you've got to expound on election sermons because for most of the people listening that might be a foreign idea can you yeah. really tell you what election sermons sure. is is that what it sounds like oh yeah 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 what what they would do is see these men believe that preaching on every subject was appropriate, no matter what it was. I mean, there are old sermons out there, David, if you can believe it, that the preachers, with the oncoming of the railroads, preached about railroads and their significance to spiritual issues. I mean, it's it's hard to believe. But see, there was a time when people believed that everything related to the Bible. And so you take election sermons, after the elections, they would have a local preacher come, and they'd gather the legislature and the governor, often the lieutenant governor, and this preacher would preach for an hour, hour and a half, and warn them that they were going to answer to God for the way they governed that mm. next year. And that practice wasn't just was not just popular in the late 1700s. Uh, it went into the 1800s. I, I have an election sermon from 1808, mm. but it went even further than that. So uh, it went up really almost up to the war between the states period, so the middle of the 19th century. <laughs> Can you imagine what a difference it would make mm. if our preachers went and preached for an hour, hour and a half, and warned our legislators today that they're going to answer to God? Oh, my goodness. Who was it that you quoted in uh, one of your presentations uh, that actually called them cowards or he was real i mean there's some strong words for someone who's in the legislature do you remember who that was oh my goodness there's so many of them that did that i can tell you that john witherspoon was one of the ones in fact he was uh, he gave a very impassioned speech to the continental congress when they were getting weak need about signing the declaration of independence <laughs> and, and he was the president of what became princeton he was a presbyterian preacher and he was chiding them but it, it, all of these guys pretty much did that. Wow. Uh, you, you know, you take into the 1800s, uh, Henry Ward Beecher, okay? He was a pastor in New York. Now, whether or not we agree with all these guys' doctrines, uh, you know, they were all from different doctrinal backgrounds, but he said that people that said that ministers must not preach politics, if that was true, they would have to toe-hop and skip and jump through two-thirds of the Bible if they didn't. <laughs> I mean, if you think about all of the 
heroes of the Old Testament, practically every one of them was not only involved in governance, but many of them were involved in, in warfare. Yes, yes, they were. Um, yeah. All right, Dan, um, let's... By the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the book Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, and um, God willing, we'll have you on again the podcast. There's so much more to talk about, but that is a phenomenal book we need to get out in the hands of people who really want to know true history, and it's on the website, danfisherbrr.com. Um, now we want to talk about what's happening in the country today and how we got this inaccurate understanding of Romans 13. We've, we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but you do a great job in this really short book of breaking it down. The book is called Unlimited Submission, also available on your website. But can you please explain, first of all, the importance of civil government and ju just how this, like you said earlier, this affects us because legislation affects how we're to live, how we're controlled, what the government does, and it's it's there's so much morality in what they do we would be irresponsible not to speak about it yeah well you know the first thing you have this myth today that's that's passed around that you can't legislate morality <laughs> well that's all that legislation is yes i mean what do you legislate the weather i mean the only <laughs> thing you can legislate is morality so the only question is whose moral standards mm -hmm. are going to be used yeah. in legislation because that's what legislation is so for someone to say, well, we shouldn't be involved in it, well, that, that's, that's ludicrous, because the laws are going to determine what we can and cannot do, and we've already shown that we're willing to allow unconstitutional rules and laws to be made or passed. We're allowing these mayors and governors to take on authority they don't have to force us to shut our churches, to shut our businesses. So... For someone to say that it's not important is ridiculous. And, and God understood that fallen man has to have some level of governance. Now, I don't believe that government is the answer. Uh, ultimately, only Jesus can redeem the human heart. But because we live in a fallen world, there has to be outward restraint. And if people will not restrain themselves internally, then they have to be restrained externally. In fact, Robert Winthrop, who was a uh, a Speaker of the House of the United States in the 1800s said that men have to be gather, governed either by a power from within them or without them. Mm. Ultimately, they're going to be ruled by the Bible or the bayonet. Mm. So, so we have wow. to have government. It, it's an institution of God. So the question then comes, well, what what is the responsibility of Christians in government? And I, I guess I would just ask, well, do you want a godless government? Or do you want a government that's influenced and affected by Christians? And so, obviously, we want the, the latter. So the importance of government can't be overstated, yet we know that ultimately the answers are going to come from morality, but that's what legislation is supposed to be, moral you know, legislation to protect our liberties. That's the job of government. We're talking with Pastor Dan Fisher of the book Unlimited Submission with a question mark. A lot to talk about when it comes to Romans 13, but a whole lot more coming up on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're back with Pastor Dan Fisher, the website, DanFisherBRR.com. Talking about his book, brand new, by the way, Unlimited Submission, about Romans 13. Dan, please continue your thoughts from the last segment. 
when you mentioned the unlimited submission book, and by the way, that's unlimited submission question mark. Yes. Because for years it's been taught that Paul in Romans 13 verses 1 through 5 was telling Christians that we have to offer unlimited submission no matter what, no matter how vile our government is, we just have to submit and pray and hope for a better day. And and that's a, a large part, I believe, of the reason why churches today are not engaging, because pastors have taught this view of Romans 13 for years. Mm-hmm. And they teach if you stand up against authority, you're sinning. Well, is that really what Paul was teaching? And of course, I believe the answer to that is no. And you quote Pastor Joseph Lathrop in 1787, who said, Is there no case in which a people may resist government? Yes, there is such one, uh, one such case, and that is when rulers usurp a power oppressive to the people. And yeah. I thought, a lot of great quotes in this book, and uh, I want to get to some of the cases that will just flip this on its head and go, wow, I guess they were right to resist. Dred Scott versus Stanford, 1857. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, that's, that's when our esteemed Supreme Court, which has been given far more power than the framers intended, ruled, decided, gave their opinion that blacks aren't people, they're property, and therefore they can be bought and sold as chattel. Hmm. Well, I mean, is that biblical? Is that correct? Well, obviously the answer is no, that is not correct. So now let's say we've been living in the 1850s as Christians, Should we just knuckle under and say, well, you know, the Supreme Court said that blacks are not people, they're property, so we'll just have to do nothing while our brothers and sisters are in bondage. Wow. Of course, that would have been wrong. Right. And so there are Christians that got involved in the Underground Railroad and working to try to help those who were trying to flee uh, slavery, and they were right in doing so. It was biblical. Hmm. And what about Roe v. Wade? I mean, whenever I've never heard a, a stronger argument than we are murdering human beings. A fetus means little one. It means offspring. That's the word, I uh, believe, in the Latin. And here some pastors will say, well, Romans 13, we are to submit to government. But the Supreme Court legislated that, not the legislature. For one thing, your thoughts, yeah. Dan? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. The courts were never— uh, designed to legislate. They, they were only to litigate, not legislate. But unfortunately, we don't know our civics anymore. We don't understand how the three branches that the framers set up are supposed to function. And so we've just abdicated everything to the Supreme Court. In fact, the coming election, they're already talking about the Supreme Court is going to end up having to decide who wins. Now, I don't think it's going to be that close. But my point is, we're going to leave that wow. to the Supreme Court? It's, it's utterly ridiculous. It flies in the face of our founding. So when you have Christians who say, well, the Supreme Court said it, so it's the law of the land. No, it isn't. Courts don't make laws. Now, if you go back a few thousand years, you have Pharaoh telling Hebrew midwives, you have to murder all the Hebrew baby boys. Well, then were they supposed to knuckle under? because their Pharaoh said to do it, and that's government. Even though Paul hadn't written Romans 13 yet, (laughs) apparently if that's from God, that principle would be eternal, it's timeless. They said, no, we're not going to drown these little babies. And so these Hebrew midwives 
defied their authority, and God not only allowed it, he approved it and blessed them for it. And that's just one example that we'll find all through Scripture. And, of course, I point these things out in the book. And and these, these limited submission preachers today will applaud the Hebrew midwives, but then tell you, you have to knuckle under. Yep, exactly. And they don't have a problem with Paul um, saying, I appeal to Caesar. And, um, exactly. you know, but it's if they don't make that connection to today, and yeah. that's part of the problem. There's a disconnect, Dan. And how do you yeah. bridge that gap? By the way, we're talking about two different books today. We rarely do this on the podcast, but uh, I want to make sure we got these in, not knowing when we can get you scheduled again. Uh, Dan Fisher, Bringing Back the Black-Robed Regiment, and we are talking about his new book, brand new, and it's, it's very short, very packed with information about unlimited submission, question mark, about Romans 13. Um, it wasn't always like this, where, where pastors just, uh, and, and Christians said, well, that's the law of the land. I mean, uh, 20, it's not just Roe v. Wade, but 2015, when the Supreme Court said, okay, now we're going to strike down state bans on same-sex marriage and what the states had decided, that's yeah. an abuse of power, and we haven't resisted to a point of making any difference, have we? No, no, we haven't. And, of course, you know, this would get into a whole different and longer discussion, but the whole concept of state sovereignty and separation of powers is vital to the survival of a republic. Hmm. Uh, today, we kind of live under the notion that we're under a monolithic government in Washington, D.C., and they have a one-size-fits-all ability to force one view, one opinion on all 50 states. And, and that was never what the framers envisioned. Uh, they, they, you know, the federal government didn't even have jurisdiction in most of these decisions, and you can see that in the Federalist Papers written by... Uh, none other than James Madison wrote some of them, who was the primary author of the Constitution, and he mm-hmm. understood what they meant. Uh, but today we live under this notion that Washington decides everything, and if that's true, it isn't, but if it's true now, why do we even have states? Why do we even have state governments? Why don't we just call them federal districts? We talked about COVID. Is there anything else you want to mention about that and about how we just kind of folded as a church? We ought to talk about the fact that there was a time in our history when we didn't fold, but there was also people that we celebrate today who didn't fold. And now here we are allowing rogue mayors and city councils shutting down churches and businesses over something as stupid as another kind of flu. We're talking with Pastor Dan Fisher, and he's in Oklahoma. He's got a great church there, works with Paul Blair, who... We will have on in a few weeks. But the book we're talking about in this segment, continuing to talk about unlimited submission about Romans 13. Uh, Dan, you mentioned off air. Now we want you to just lay out what happened in Germany. And Corey Tenboom was one who's famous for going against the government, actually helping the Jews. Talk about that. Well, we were mentioning in the Old Testament people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Hebrew midwives, over and over and over. Queen Esther. You have all these Old Testament heroes that we celebrate that didn't knuckle under. Then we have people in our own history, people like Martin Luther King Jr. and those who worked with him to, to stand up against the, the Jim Crow laws and, mm-hmm. and prejudice and segregation. But, th- but then you have people like Corey Ten Boom and Oscar Schindler, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran yes. in Germany. Yes. You know, here, here these, these Jews are being shipped away. And it wasn't just Jews, it was political dissidents, anybody that disagreed with the Nazis. Many Christians were 
put in these concentration camps and killed. But you have Corey Ten Boom, these guys, and we celebrate them today for not knuckling under, yeah. but standing up. Of course, you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it cost him his life. Mm-hmm. Corey Ten Boom, everybody in her family was killed but her. And yet the same preachers who celebrate these people will tell modern Christians that you have to knuckle under. Mm. It's total inconsistency. It's biblically inconsistent. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you if you listen to Jesus or you read Paul, uh, they weren't telling people to stand up against their government. Well, they lived under a dictatorship. There was nothing they could do. They didn't live in a representative republic. Mm-hmm. I am convinced that if Paul were writing Romans 13 to us today in America, he would say, utilize every opportunity you have in your republic to, to do the right thing and to, to have proper legislation passed. I mean, even he, to avoid an illegal beating, appealed to his own Roman citizenship. And, of course, once the Romans found out that he was a Roman citizen, you know the story, they back away. Yeah. It, it, it's totally ludicrous to take Paul's writings out of the context. And a lot of people say, well, he was telling the knuckle under Nero, and Nero was a tyrant. He wasn't a tyrant when Paul wrote Romans 13. He, he was still a relatively uh, tame uh, <laughs> emperor who wouldn't become a tyrant until about seven years later. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a total misunderstanding of Romans 13 to, to say that American Christians just need to knuckle under because Paul said so. I, he, he wasn't even writing an exegesis on government. He was simply telling those Roman Christians, you live under a dictatorship. It's, it's kind of hostile. Do your very best. To, to submit to authority. Now, of course, the whole concept of authority, all Christians ought to submit. But the Bible also says that wives are to submit to husbands, children to parents, churches to pastors. But does that mean if, if the, the husband or the parents or the pastor ask the people to do something that's unbiblical or immoral? Mm. Of course not. So it's just a total inconsistent approach to Romans 13 and it's time for Christians to properly understand that. And one last thing I would say, sure. Paul defines what proper government is. And it's that government that he's saying that we need to submit to. Proper government is a government that punishes evildoers and rewards the doers of good. Now, what are we to do if the government does the opposite? It punishes the doers of good and rewards the doers of evil. Which is kind of well, what we're seeing public. today, in a way. <laughs> we're kind of seeing churches punished, but uh, violent yeah, protesters yeah. and rioters rewarded. It's, a, it's just bizarre. It, it, it's the opposite. If you stand up and do what's right, you, you're liable to get into trouble for it. But, but if, you, if, you, if you turn a protest into a riot, you're okay. I mean, look at de Blasio in New York City. Yeah. He told them, you can't have parades, you can't have public gatherings. And then he said, except for BLM <sighs> events. You've seen these, these governors and mayors marching in these protests, and there's nobody wearing masks, and yet he tells the church, you can't meet. They tell casinos, if you have the seating capacity of 5,000, you can have 50% of that. They tell the churches, you can't have any more than 50 wow. people. What, what is the end? So it's, it's completely inconsistent. It's obvious. Yes. The target is the church. Yep, the double standards and, are glaring. And I really believe the way we've responded to COVID is a dry run mm-hmm. for these leftists 
who want to shut the church down. Yep. I mean, that's always been their goal. So, David, all of these things are so important. A proper understanding of the Black Robe Regiment and how they didn't knuckle under and eventually went to the battlefields, and then a proper understanding of Romans 13. If the church could get those two things together, my goodness, the force that we could be for good in our culture. Okay, Pastor Dan Fisher, would you clarify, we've just got about four minutes left, but these are cases where there was tyranny that the patriot pastors were rebelling against. There was um, what Hitler was doing in Germany, which was rightfully rebelled against by a third, what my understanding is a third of German pastors, including Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who said silence in the face of evil is itself evil. But in this case today, how would you respond to someone who said, but this is for our health to obey the government? How would you respond to that? Well, the first thing that I would say is, who are you listening to? Because there are many medical professionals who are telling us that all of these measures are basically useless. They're, even even Dr. Fauci said that wearing a mask is mainly symbolic. The CDC has reversed itself over yeah. and over and over. Dr. Burks says that at least 25% of the COVID deaths weren't COVID. Then we get a study a few weeks ago that 94% of the COVID deaths really weren't COVID, but were other comorbidities. And, and you know, COVID was just thrown in the mix there. So I would say, first of all, who are you listening to and who says this is for our health, number one? Hmm. Number two, we've never responded to any other flus like this where we actually quarantine the healthy uh, instead of the sick. Uh, Spanish flu, you go through the history. This is utterly ridiculous. But then third, I would say, well, where do our unalienable rights come in? Yes. I mean, how many liberties are we willing to surrender for the so-called peace of mind, safety, and health? I mean, mm. ultimately, aren't these personal decisions that we all have to make on our own? Mm. And, so so that's what I would say to people. If we're willing to sell our liberties out this cheaply, and mm. John MacArthur can be put in jail for having church in California. Yeah. I mean, guys, our republic is gone. Our liberties are lost, and we better hunker down for something terrible coming our way. Yep. If we surrender and wave the white flag, but there's still time. We have a say, and we have an, right. a, an important election coming up November 3rd, and we hope and pray that not only those of you that are listening will go out and vote your biblical values, but you will get your pastor encourage your pastor. Don't criticize him. Come at him harshly. Come at him in a loving way and say, Pastor, we're sensing the urgency of this moment. We need you to engage the congregation. And I encourage you guys to share Dan Fisher's information with this book on Romans 13 and also the Black Robed Regiment. Uh, Dan, the website, danfisherbrr.com. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, being a part of Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, my goodness, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, David. I'd love to come back again sometime. God willing, we will do that. And when we come back, we'll let you know our guests the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right. We are so excited to have on the podcast tomorrow Dr. Scott Lively And he's an author of many books, but man, he has been fighting on the front lines of some of these cultural and political battles for years. 
man, he's been attacked by the left and the LGBT movement, and he's got a story to tell. What an amazing testimony. Scott Lively will be our guest tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.